As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome to the O Gladsome Light Podcast. This program contains preaching and teaching from an Orthodox Christian perspective to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ and to be victorious in Him. Well, welcome to the show. I'm your show host, Dr. Al Mans, and here we are, O Gladsome Light, at noon Monday on WF4CY Internet Radio, simultaneous broadcast on K4HD in Hollywood, California. NW4VET. Live call in number is 561-623-9429. That's 561-623-9429. The uh, Skype address is W4CY Radio. And if you go into W4CY.com, you can get into the chat room. And uh, what's our slogan here? Preparing souls for heaven is our slogan. And today's show topic is called Our Broken Mirror. Our Broken Mirror. So uh, I was thinking about, uh, I'll tell you how I was inspired to do this show topic today in a moment, but if you ever uh, look, uh, can you walk by a mirror and not look into it? I was wondering about that. Can you walk by a mirror and not look into it? Now, how about walking and, and looking in a broken mirror? Uh, kind of hard, kind of different. Uh, it's very distorted. Um, if a, you have a broken mirror with a, uh, I posted on uh, my Facebook page uh, a picture of a, a lady looking into a broken mirror and really totally distorts the image. And so, uh, you know, who wants to use a broken mirror? We'd rather have one that's uh, intact. 
because you can see clearly uh, the image in the mirror. So, why am I choosing this topic? Well, I was inspired by an elder Thaddeus of Vitavnika. And he says this, We make it very hard for God to appear to us when we are like a broken mirror in, in which even spiritual themes reflect and refract in a hundred different ways. We all receive only as much as we can take in the proportion to the broken mirror with which we come into this world. Christ came into the world in order to make our mirror whole again so that we can receive God's image in it. And so after I read that, I was, uh, I says, wow, I got I to gotta do a show on, on the broken mirror and uh, see where this goes today. Uh so I talked about using a, a mirror that's not broken and a mirror that is broken and what a difference uh, between the two. And when I'm talking about a broken mirror, I'm talking about us, that we're broken. And I'm going to show you how it happened, when it happened, and what the solution is to resolve this broken mirror so you can see clearly again. And so when you look into that broken mirror, you cannot see clearly, as, as Elder Thaddeus said. Uh, because the mirror is fractured, it's all these different facets and distortions. Maybe you can uh, move it around a little bit and get it uh, workable, but uh, overall, you'd rather have a mirror that's not broken to, to look into. Now, when was the image broken? Well, I'm going to take you back now to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis and start for, go forward from Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, the image was broken. The noose, which is the eye of the soul, was darkened. And, and the eye of the soul is what we use to communicate with God. And so that noose was darkened. So let me talk about Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our, our image and after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So in the beginning, our image was intact. Remember God and Adam and they used to walk in the garden in the cool of the day, and had fellowship and communion, so that the image was not broken yet. But how did the image get broken? Well, now we move to Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Well, first of all, that's interesting that the snake or the serpent could talk. Very interesting. So the enemy... Satan entered in into the serpent and started a dialogue with the woman. The woman was not with her husband. She was off away from her covering. 
Very important that uh, you hear what I have to say about that. And the woman said unto the serpent, which was the first mistake, don't have a dialogue with the evil one. Because who is the father of lies? And everything that comes out of him is a lie. So she, that was her first mistake. She had dialogue with the serpent. And the woman said, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now, who gave, the, who, who gave Adam and Eve the rules? Well, we know God talked to Adam, and Adam's charge was to educate or to share that information with his, his wife, his woman. So they'd be in communion together of what God expected of them in the Garden of Eden. So, you know, jumping back a little bit here, and in a serpent said unto the woman, Yea, God hath said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So, uh, challenging, there was a challenge right there. Uh, it, what God had told Adam and Eve, serpent is challenging that. So then the woman said unto the serpent, which I said was a big mistake, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But... The fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, she added the word touch. That wasn't part of the scripture. And you can go look it up and uh, see for yourself. But uh, add, Eve added to the scripture uh, the commandments of God, which is not a good thing to do because that's when you get... Uh, all these different variations and versions of Christianity that uh, people say, well, we're right and you're wrong and you're wrong and you're right. And then a fight starts. And where is the love of the brethren when that starts? And now the serpent said unto the woman, you shall surely not die. So who's a liar now? Is God the liar or is the evil one the liar? Remember the evil one, he is a father of lies and everything he says is a lie. So uh, Eve is having a dialogue with the serpent. So he's challenging God's goodness and his love for mankind right there. And he continues, For God know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now that is a half-truth. Their eyes were opened, and they did know the difference between good and evil. But in the beginning, they were innocent. Their mirror was not broken. Continuing. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, remember, there were many trees in the garden. There was plenty of food in the garden. It's like going to, uh, you know, go, walk, taking a walk and seeing a sign that says, wet paint. Do we want to put our finger in it to see if it's really wet? Do we not believe the sign? So when a woman saw the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, now we have the eyes involved, and a tree desired to make one wise, well then there we go with the pride. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and she also gave it unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So there we see the pride of life right before us. Is that the same as today, the pride of life? And what does God say about pride goeth before the fall? of every person. God wants us to be humble, not prideful. Now, 
Continuing in, in Genesis 3, verse 7, And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called on Adam and said, Where art thou? Now the Lord is omniscient and omnipresent. He knew where he was. But he called out to him anyway. And he says, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Well, then here it comes. And he said, and God said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of that tree? Where have I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? There's only one tree in the garden you're not supposed to eat of. Of all the other trees in the garden, they went for, the, for that particular tree. And the man said, The woman that thou gavest to me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So now here we start the blame game. He blames the woman and he blames God. He said, well, God, you gave me her. And the next thing I know, I'm eating. And next thing I know, we're both uh, in trouble with you because of the violation of the commandment of not to eat of that particular tree in the garden. So now the woman. And the man said, the woman that, that thou gavest to me, with, to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly thou shalt go, and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of your life. So now we have the curses coming forward from the disobedience of the commandment. And he continues in verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And I don't know how many women I, I talk to that hate snakes. They hate them. They don't want to see them. They want to be around them. Don't like the snakes, right? D, you don't like snakes? No. Don't, don't. want to run away from even a, How about a good snake? Well, the snakes that aren't poisonous. Those are good snakes. The garden snakes. They'll still bite you. Yeah, well, they may bite you. Uh, some people even have these boa constrictors as pets. And I go, what is that? <laughs> these things could kill you. They get out of their cage in the middle of the night, could kill you. People sleep with snakes. I, yeah. Have you ever felt a snake's skin? Uh. It is. It's like velvet. <laughs> it's amazing. But it's still a snake. And so you see the scripture, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Now there's two seeds here we're talking about. Thy seed and her seed. And right there is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. And it continues, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And we see the victorious victory of Christ when he defeated the devil by by the crucifixion but Satan did bruise his heel but it wasn't if you understand what I'm trying to say here he had a third day resurrection total victory over the enemy now continuing verse 16 unto the woman he said I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee 
Now he turns to Adam. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also thistles shall it bring forth unto thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So when you go out in the garden, and uh, you're digging out the weeds, and you're digging out the thorns and the thistles, just think about what happened in the Garden of Eden. Part of the curse of breaking the commandment. And he goes on in verse 19, he says, in, in the sweat of thy face, and if you live in South Florida, we know about sweat. Thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So sweat is a reminder of the curse. Work is not, because God told Adam to work in the garden. That was a good thing. That was blessed by God. But now we got sweat. Now we sweat. And we sweat. Especially in South Florida. We sweat a lot down here. So continuing in verse 20, Adam called his wife Eve because she was a mother of all living. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now it says, it says in Scripture he made coats of skins and clothe them. And I was thinking, you know, I don't know how you all feel about this, but, you know, where did God get the, the coats and the skins to clothe them? You know, God could just say, be thou coats of skin, and they would appear. Or maybe God wanted something more to show them what the effect of sin is when you violate the commandments. Maybe God killed something in the garden to get the skins, and blood ran out of the, of the victim, showing of sacrifice in the garden, which is a precursor to the sacrifice at Calvary. So we see the dual ap application here from the Garden of Eden to Mount uh, you know, Golgotha, Calvary, where the Lord shed his blood for us. So I don't know. He covered them not with the figs. He didn't like the fig trees, the fig leaves. That uh, upset him. And I often wonder about the Lord when he walked on this earth and he saw a fig tree that did not bear fruit. He cursed it and it withered and died. Maybe he thought about what happened in the Garden of Eden way back when because, remember, Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word of God. So it continues. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know the difference between good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and also take of the tree of life, which is another tree in the garden, and eat and live forever. So that's a, that was a possibility there. But God had to intervene. So therefore, in verse 23, God, Lord God, sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed him at the, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way, to keep the way of the tree of life. And that was extreme mercy there. Because if, they would have, if Adam and Eve could have got to the tree of life, they would have lived forever, eternally, in their fallen state. And so God had to shut that down, but because they went for the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
and then they could have gone for the tree of life, God in his mercy tossed them out. And at that time, everything was in motion for Christ to come to this earth and be the sacrifice that was acceptable to God the Father. So let's look at the results of the fall. Adam and Eve became subject to mortality. Up to that point, they weren't mortal. They were immortal. Now, St. Gregory, the theologian, one of our church fathers, says, Yet here, too, he provides a benefit, namely death, which cuts off sin. You see that? You see how the, the wisdom there? So that evil may not be everlasting. Thus his punishment is changed into mercy. A lot of people don't see that. They say, oh, there's too much for me to bear. But if you use the wisdom of God, you see that is mercy. That Adam and Eve entered into mortality. Now another, another mark. We are not guilty of Adam's sin but because of our own sin, mankind fell away from the grace of God through Adam's disobedience. Now we have the pro propensity or disposition and inclination to sin because as death entered the world through sin, now sin enters through the, through the fear of death. And I don't know how many people I've talked to, and they have a fear of death. If you're a truly a... a a Christian that is uh, following the commandments of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, you know that the resurrection of Christ, he took care of that, that death problem, that fear of death problem. And because he is the resurrection, all of us who are in him should not fear death, but look forward to the resurrection. Jesus stayed here 40 days after his resurrection and showed himself to people to show them what they can be if they have faith in him and his commandments. So you got to ask yourself a question. Do I fear death? If so, why? Are you not trusting in the resurrection of Christ, trusting in that what he is doing is more powerful than the fear of death? Another point. Mankind's strong propensity to commit sin reveals that in the fall, the image of God in man is also fallen. That's that broken mirror I'm talking about now. You look into the mirror, it's broken. Because of Adam and Eve, we are not responsible for what Adam did, but we, we get the what we call in the church the ancient curse. We are every person born on this earth from a mother and a, f a father, is a sinful person through the fall, Adam and Eve's sin. There's only one person that didn't have an earthly father, and we know that to be Jesus Christ, and that's why the virgin birth is so paramount in our faith, knowing that Mary, a chosen vessel of God, could bear a son, a child, not with an earthly father, but with a heavenly father, and break that sin, that chain of sin is broken at that point. And I think about Joseph, how much faith he had in, in the dreams and revelation that he got from heaven to take her, Mary, as his wife and care for her, even though she looked like she was an adulteress. 
because he didn't know Mary in a sexual way. And he thought that she, she was, uh, you know, two-timing him. But, but God and, uh, dispatched the angels and through visions showed, showed Joseph what he had to do. In his obedience, he did it. He took Mary to be his wife. So now with Jesus not having an earthly father, that chain of sin is broken. Now another mark, mankind's strong propensity to commit sin reveals that in the fall, the image of God in man is also fallen, like I said, is broken. Note that the divine image in man has not been totally corrupted. You still can see parts of the mirror. You can still see parts of the image. It's not totally black. So it's not totally corrupted. Human nature remains inherently good after the fall. Mankind is not totally depraved. People are still capable of doing good. Although bondage to death and the influences of the devil can dull their perception of what is good and lead them into all kinds of evil. And I know people that do good, and they're not Christians. They do good things. But, but the common denominator in the world is Jesus Christ. Another point is Adam's fall not only brought on mortality and sin into the world, but also brought, brought in sweat, toil, hunger, thirst, weariness, sorrow, pain, sickness, tribulation, tragedy, and tears. That's the shopping list of the result of Adam's fall. Another item, the soul desire can be used in a good way or a bad way or in a harmful way. Example, desire is good when it is directed towards God, but when desire is out of control, it is... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No is used in a negative way. Example Powers of the soul are like iron, which can be made into a plow, which we use to grow a crop for food or that iron can be made into a sword and kill somebody now how do we restore that image well let me read elder thaddeus of vitav nika one more time we make it very hard for god to appear to us when we are like a broken mirror which i have been talking about 
in which even spiritual themes reflect and refract in a hundred different ways. We don't get a clear image here. We all receive only as much as we can take and in proportion to the broken mirror with which we come into this world. That's that sin nature from Adam and Eve. The good news is Christ came into the world in order that to make our mirror whole again so that we can receive God's image in it. Is that not the bottom line of our very existence? So how do we restore the broken image? That cracked mirror, that broken mirror, how do we restore it? And it can, it, can, can it be restored? Christ, by his death and resurrection, that's, that's the key. Anybody can die. But how many people can resurrect? There's only one I read of in history that raised from the dead. And his power, he could raise other people from the dead. And that's Jesus Christ. He conquered the devil and death, freeing mankind from the fear of death. Let me read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. In other words, the Lord became man on earth, that through death, and he might destroy him that had the power of death. That would be the evil one. That is the devil. And deliver them who through the fear of death were there a lifetime subject to bondage. So Jesus breaks all the bonds of that bondage, the fear of death. Now, and making possible a more complete communion between God and man than was ever possible before. Really, I wish I could communicate this in a more, hopefully, a clearer way. Of, I'm trying to show you the importance of Jesus' resurrection and what it did and what it's continuing to do on this earth as we, by faith, believe that Jesus raised from the dead. This communion allows people to become partakers of the divine nature that is in 2 Peter verses one through uh, verse chapter one verse four, to transcend and ultimately all the consequences of the fall. It all can be erased, and so by by casting all your cares upon Christ, that image can be restored like there was never a crack ever in that mirror. So the process we call is called deification. Now, if you look at the word deification, I'm going to explain more about it here in a moment. But deification is you see the word deity in it. Well, we're not gods. There's only one God. But the process that a Christian uses to become more like God is deification. Let's take a look at 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, real quick here. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might, might, 
not assurance, might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And I'll tell you what, if you want to, uh, that word lust is, has many facets to it. There's so much of uh, lust going on in the world today, not this sexual lust, but the lust for power, fortune, fame, and all that stuff. All those are different kinds of lust, but they, um, that means your, fo your focus is on that instead of being on Christ. That you, by being in that lust uh, frame of mind, you cannot become partakers of the divine nature. So that's why he said in the scripture in verse 4, that ye might be partakers. You might. There's, it's not a shoe in. It's like the chicken. The chicken makes eggs. And so the egg farmer goes out there, the chicken farmer goes out there, and he looks at those eggs, and he counts 10 eggs. He says, well, I'm going to have 10 chicks. That's not true. He won't know if he has 10 chicks until they hatch. And they won't hatch unless they're fertilized. But even if they're fertilized, they may not all hatch. So don't count your chickens before they hatch. You've heard that term before. What does it mean to be partakers of the divine nature? Well, we must pursue godliness to be more like God. Now, we can never be God, but we can be like him. We are human, and we always will be human. We cannot take on the nature of God, his essence. We cannot. St. John of Damascus tells us the God in the scriptures refers not to the divine nature or essence of God, for that is unknowable. God refers to rather the divine energies, the power and the grace of God that we perceive in this world. It's like the burning bush. Moses saw the burning bush, and that was the energies of God. And God wrote the Ten Commandments. That was the energies of God at work there. Now the word God, the Greek word for God is theos. It comes from a verb meaning run, see, or burn. And these are the energy words and not the essence words because we can never know the essence of God. And we, when we talk about the, who Christ is, the God-man, he is the same essence as of the Father and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, three persons in one, but they all have the same essence. And we will never have the essence of God, but we can be like him. Now, in John 10, verses 30 through 34, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Wow. He said that as the God-man. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And then Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? Then the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. So all they could see was Jesus Christ in the flesh. They couldn't see him as God. They resisted that. So Jesus, in verse 34, answered them, 
It is not written in your law. I said, ye are gods, little g. Now the fact he was speaking to a group of hypocritical leaders who were accusing him of blasphemy makes the meaning doubly clear. Jesus is not using God to refer to divine nature. We are God in that we bear his image and not his nature. Remember all the way back in Genesis when I talked about it? And it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. Talking about image. That's where we get the word icon. We are an icon of God, but we are not God. St. Athanasio said, God became a man, so man be could become God. So hopefully you understand what, what St. Athanasius was saying right there. He said, you're not going to be God because you can't be God. You can't be his essence. You can only bear his image. Deification means we are to become more like God through his grace or divine energies, and that requires participation participation in God's divine grace. In creation, humans were made in the image and likeness of God according to human nature. In other words, humanity by nature is an icon, that's what I said, or an image image of deity. The divine image is all is in all humanity. Through sin, however, this image and likeness of God was marred, and we fell, and the image was broken. The good news. When the Son of God assumed our humanity at the virgin birth in the womb of the Blessed Mary, our, our Mother of God, the process of our being renewed in God's image and likeness began. That's when it began at that at that virgin birth when when Mary said yes to the holy angel archangel Gabriel and God overshadowed her and she became pregnant because of of a miracle pregnancy there not knowing a man thus those who are joined to Christ through faith in holy baptism, begin a process of recreation. Behold, all things are new. You remember that scripture? Behold, all things are new. Being renewed in God's image and likeness. That happens at baptism. Now you, you say, well, I've been baptized and I live a, a life of a snake the most of my life. Well, let me say this. Who's, who is... Uh, is God wrong or are you wrong? So if did not Jesus say, unless a seed is planted in the ground and it dies, it won't bear fruit? And just as that seed of baptism is planted in your soul, as you have faith and begin working with God in synergy, then that fruit can begin to grow. But you can shut it down. You can be baptized and you can live like a like a um, a snake all your life. <coughs> but it doesn't take away from the fact of that holy sacrament called baptism. 
beginning that process of recreation, being renewed in God's image and likeness. We become, as St. Peter writes, the partakers of the divine nature. That is when that process can begin. And it won't begin until that happens. Because of the incarnation of the Son of God, okay, when the God-man appeared, because the fullness of God inhabited his human flesh. Being joined to Christ means that it is again possible to experience deification, the fulfillment of our human destiny. You think about how many people are not fulfilling their human destiny of being uh, in league, in concert, in communion with a holy God. See, that's why it was so important for Jesus to come and be born of a woman and shut down the sin, break the chain of sin, and become the and be the God man, and never leaving Jesus never left his deity. He was all God, all man. And that is a mystery that we can't understand. That's one of our articles of faith. Now through union with Christ, we become by grace what God is by nature. We can never be God by nature, but through His grace, we can become like Him. We, be, we become children of God. His deity is interpenetrated our humanity. Well, he said that's a big word. Let's talk more about interpenetrate. Let me give you an example. It's like the sword in the fire. You put a sword into a, a, a hot fire, and the sword will eventually glow red. The energy of the fire is interpenetrated the sword. But is the sword fire? No. It can never be fire because it's a sword. But it picks up the properties of fire. So you can see... What the com the comparison here, the divine energies, in you know the divine energies, not the essence, the divine energies, interpenetrate the human nature of Christ. That's the God man, the dual nature. When we are joined to Christ, our humanity is interpenetrated with the energies of God through Christ's glorified flesh. Did not, God, did not God glorify Jesus Christ on his whole walk on, on this earth? Even in John 17, uh, Jesus prayed about that. Glor he said about the, I have glorified thy name, Father. He says, yes, and I glorify you, and I will glorify it again. And I talked about glory. If you go back to my previous shows, I talked about the glory of God. So that would be your homework to go back and look at that show when I talked about the glory of God. Now, we are interpenetrated with the energies of God through Christ's glorified flesh. We are nourished. Now, how do you get your nourishment? By the body and blood of Christ. We partake of the grace of God, His strength, His righteousness, His love, and our enable to serve him and glorify him thus we being human are being deified we are becoming what God intends us to be we can become more like Jesus Christ 
And I thought this. You think God the Father loved his son? Yes. If you are like acting like Christ, do you think the Father loves you? Now we know that God says uh, he sent his son in so there would be a chance for us to become like God. I'd like to read an, uh, a saying from St. Nikolai Vavrilamovich, a church father. Come now, saith the Lord, and let us reason together. It comes from Isaiah 118. That is, I will look at you, and I will see if there is me in you, and you will look upon me as in a mirror, and you will see what kind of person you are. So I asked the question, what do you see? Do you see a broken image? Of many facets and distortions, or do you see a restored image that is only possible through communion with Jesus Christ? Now, in the world, the world of passions, and that's that's what we have here in this world. Much emphasis, much emphasis, emphasis is placed on image. You have to have the right image in order to be successful successful in this world. Our aim as Christians is entirely different. We are to be wholly transformed in order to be fit citizens for another world. I remember going to a job interview and I, I went out and bought me a suit and I looked good, you know, and I got the job. Can you imagine if I went in there with a tank top and flip-flops and uh, smelling my hair a mess and so forth? Uh, I don't know if I would be, be considered. But I had a, I had a good image before my uh, potential employer. And I probably wouldn't have got the job if I wouldn't have dressed accordingly. So I'd have the, I had the right image. And that's in the world's eyes. But... We are not, how do I say, we are aliens here on this planet. If you're a Christian, you're an alien. And I want to read Romans 12, too, to you. So listen to this. Be not conformed to the world, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is, that what that is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you have a choice of either being conformed, which is the easy way, or be transformed and now probably stick out like a sore thumb. And people who don't have the faith and don't believe what you believe, that Christ is, is, all, is everything to us, and not live that godliness as we're supposed to live because if you're identified with Christ, if you're a Christian, which means you're a follower of Christ's teachings, then you're going to be different than the world. So where is your citizenship? Remember, the, Jesus said the world loves its own, but that's hated me. Why did they hate Christ? Because he was different. He came and showed the love of the Father, and they couldn't stand it. 
And so they killed him for it. But they fell right into the perfect plan of salvation for mankind through the blood of Christ being shed on the cross, dying in the flesh, taking that sin problem that Adam and Eve created way back when in the garden and killing it in his flesh. So I got to ask you, are you an alien? Is your citizenship in heaven? Remember Christ when he stood before Pilate and he had a conversation. And Pilate was listening. He says, you know, I have the power to kill you or release you. And Jesus said to him, no, you don't. You don't have that kind of power. Uh, this, is, this whole thing is only going to happen because my Father is going to allow it to happen. Because there has, the, the perfect will of God is being done for mankind to be to, to able to be saved. Remember, he said he could, he could have dispatched angels to deliver him off the cross, but he stayed the angels. And he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. I am a king, but not of this world. And so uh, I put it back to you. Are you a citizen of heaven or are you a citizen of the world? It's your choice. And I hope that when you, uh, the Holy Spirit would reveal to you more of who uh, Christ is. There is only one way for the broken mirror to be restored and all distortions are removed through Christ. We can't see clearly now if we allow Christ to change us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit here. To be the helper. We're not, we're not abandoned. Christ went into heaven after his 40-day sojourn here, after his resurrection. And the Father, he asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit and we see the proof of it at Pentecost, the power that was landed upon the apostles, and also that when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are now communicating with heaven. We have that good internet connection between heaven and earth from one heart to the main heart, the heart of God the Father. So I want to close the show, and I want to read one more time what Elder Thaddeus said as I open the show, about the broken mirror. We make it very hard for God to appear to us when we are like a broken mirror, in which even spiritual themes reflect and refract in a hundred different ways. We all receive only as much as we can take and in proportion to the broken mirror with which we come into this world. Christ came into the world in order to make our mirror whole again so that we can receive God's image in it. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Ogladsome Light Podcast. We hope this program has encouraged you to fight the good fight of faith and walk in the accordance with the commandments of our Lord. May God bless you on your journey to salvation.